friends, Romans, countrymen, let me ears. Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. We are going strong. It is Monday, November 25th. I hope you're all having a good week. Happy Thanksgiving. I have some very exciting news. So the past few weeks, I've been working on some new songs and some prize songs that are outside of Patreon. So let me catch you up on what's going on. So on Patreon, I'm doing every movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which thankfully, most of them are on Disney Plus now. So I've been like re-watching and making notes and everything and finishing those songs. I put out Iron Man 1, and today I put out Iron Man 2. Um, so I'm next week is Thor. And so I'm doing songs about every song in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So if you're not on Patreon, check it out. I'm really happy with those songs. And I did a the Iron Man song, I did an interpolation, quotes, and interpolations when you sample something without sampling it, of Iron Man by Black Sabbath. And uh, I think it came out great. So I've been working on that. And I have kind of a surprise project that I'm dropping very soon. It's called Humble Bundle. And a Humble Bundle is like when an indie developer gives away a bunch of their games or their content for pay-as-you-want in a small package. So I'm doing an EP, and I'm doing pay-as-you-want, and it's going to be on Bandcamp, and it's called Humble Bundle, and it's all songs about video games. So I've done a few lyric videos if you go to mclars.tv, which goes to my YouTube channel, just type mclars.tv, you can see my Red Dead Redemption 2 lyric video. And I also did uh, Divinity Original Sin 2, and I did Dragon Quest 11, and Ori in the Blind Forest. What else? Luigi's Mansion 3, Breath of the Wild. I'm think missing a few. Oh, Monster Hunter World, Iceborne. Like all these games, newer games, and it was really fun writing these songs. So check it out. You can pay what you want for this EP coming out soon. It's going to be on my Bandcamp. I'm going to, of course, spread the word. And uh, so that's what's up. Speaking of Red Dead Redemption 2, this week, I'm talking to Jordan Katz. And Jordan Katz is a dude I've known for years. I met him when he was playing a show with Martin Starr with Adam Warrock in Los Angeles, like 2012, I went to see Adam Warrock and I met Jordan and Jordan was like really cool. And so we, we hit it off. He was playing in a band called Common Rotation, but I learned he was also the music director for guys like Brother Ali, De La Soul, Big Daddy Kane. And we started working on music. And the first song we did together was the Annabelle Lee remix from the Edgar Allan Poe EP. And then we worked on a lot of the Zombie Dinosaur LP. Like, I'd go to his house every, gosh, a few times a week when I was living in L.A. And we'd just record demos. And some of the gems that came out of that are Never Afraid, A Party with Lars, amongst others. So, Jordan is actually a very busy prolific, talented dude. And he played all the brass on the soundtrack to Red Dead Redemption 2, which is amazing. So at the end of this podcast, we're going to hear the De La Soul song he produced. He produced De La Soul's record, which got a Grammy nomination. And then I'm going to talk and we'll play the uh, Patreon Larshan message of the week. And then I'm going to play you guys my Red Dead Redemption 2 song, which if you haven't heard it on YouTube, it will be a podcast premiere. So Jordan's always been a really good friend. And oh, the other thing is he's music director for Drop the Mic, that battle rap show on TBS. Um, so he's killing it. A great guy. And I feel like I only see Jordan every few years, but when we catch up, it's like we pick up right where we left off. And he's one of those people that is a really special friend to me and a really talented guy. So this is my interview with the mensch. <laughs> this episode, of course, is brought to you by the Patreon Larsians. Shout out to the new ones, Jason, Jonathan, and David. And shout out to the old ones. Wait, what? What's up, Charlie? He was a guest on the podcast, Doug and Carla. 
Um, so you guys keep it going. If you want to hear my Marvel songs, patreon.com slash Lars. video game EP is coming out. But for now, let's get into it. This is my conversation with Jordan Katz. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special MC Lars podcast. I could say this is one of the most special podcasts I've done in a while. Not that the other ones aren't special, but I've wanted to talk to this man for years since I started this podcast. He's a Grammy-nominated producer and multi-instrumentalist. You did the music for Red Dead Redemption 2? I, I didn't do the music. I, I played on the soundtrack. That's what's up. The brass. You play- Woody Jackson is the composer, and okay. he hired me to play the brass. You played on that. You've played on video games. Mm-hmm. You've worked in television extensively. Yes. You've toured the world. Yes. Jordan Katz, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Lars, you're what my people call a mensch. Thanks, man. That's a nice word, right? Yes, that's a very nice word. That means it's a Jewish word for a friendly guy? A good person. Thank you. Well, I would say you are too, Jordan. We did, let's tell the story how we linked and let's talk about our working history and, and then we'll talk about why we're here in LA right now mm-hmm. talking, Pomona, I guess, actually. Mm-hmm. I met you because you were playing a show with my friend Adam Warrock in Los Angeles in 2012 and yes. you, you were playing with Martin Starr's band, right? I was, I'm, I'm Martin Starr's musical director and collaborator. And uh, yeah, we had a bet. So you weren't on that show. I just came to watch. Oh, you just came to watch. Yeah. Did you perform a song? I may have gone up with Eugene, aka Adam Warrock, but I kind of think I didn't. Did we just meet that night and hit it off? Yeah. All right. You were outside. I said hi to you, and uh-huh. then you and Martin were outside, and I shook your hand, and you both were real friendly. Uh-huh. And I gave you my. You gave me your email, and then pretty soon we were making hella music. Yeah. But we just met. I, for some reason, I thought you had toured the world with Eugene, but you just met him that night. I had just met him that night. One of the girls in the band, Jolinda Palmer, had uh, met him somewhere and set the show up at the Mint in Los Angeles. And that's still a venue? Mm-hmm. It's still a venue. It's a cool venue. Yeah. And pretty, lo- pretty soon, we were at your house working on stuff with your band, Common Rotation. Yep. Which, are y- y'all still together? We are a uh, uh, dissolved okay. uh, entity. But you did that for years. Yes. And I saw, oh, and then I saw you in Berkeley. This was another time. Shortly after that, I went to see you play with Dan Byrne at Freight and Salvage in Berkeley. Yes. Which was like probably a few months after that. Yes. Dan Byrne, still playing with, still collaborating with. That's a genius Just produced man. a record for him uh, that came out uh, a few weeks ago. And we're playing in LA Wednesday. But oh, this true. podcast won't be out. So probably out in three weeks. So yeah, so three weeks ago. Great show yeah, Wednesday. I, it probably went really well. He uh, so he wrote a lot of songs for Walk Hard. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he's a genius. And then the three of us worked on some, a Reddit song. Yes. And, oh, right. Yeah. And so that's... I'm Did jumping. we ever do that? No, we should that. ever come out? I'm jumping so far ahead, dude. He was so excited to work with you. Oh man, he is. You two are both brilliant lyricists and songwriters, and it was Thank really you. amazing to have the two of you together in my living room, just bouncing <laughs> ideas off of each other. You know, he said he was looking at it, and he goes, um, 
he looked at it and and and, all, and the verses were like 16 bar couplets mm-hmm. and he goes man that's jonathan swift status right there because <laughs> he's yeah because it's like folk songs are less like a hip-hop song looks kind of like a um dot matrix printer test <laughs> lyrics because it's just bars folk songs are more are more sparse than like yeah. emily dickinson yeah there's, so yeah. right <laughs> so okay so i so i met you and then i was back i was living in la again shortly after that and we'd done the song for the poe ep uh-huh. annabelle song which came out great yes and you said to me you said lars if this goes well, I want to keep doing these songs forever and ever. Yes. And so we just had a thing where every, every like 2013, 2014, like once or twice a week, you and I were just writing for a zombie dinosaur LP. And I had just started making beats. Right. I had just started expressing myself that way. Up until then, jazz, songwriting, folk music, I hadn't. I had never messed with making beats or understood that as an art form. And you allowed me to have someone to collaborate with and, and like drag through the rough spots of learning how to put beats together. That's interesting. So that was a, but you had been, you were De La Soul's music director. Yes. Well, I had been in in hip hop for years. Right. Like who are some of the artists you, you worked with you can you can totally brag right now uh, well de la soul this big daddy up. kane ghostface killer it's epmd uh brand nubian brother slick ali. rick brother ali rock him i was uh i was a uh, uh in in the bands of all of them what well, really when I, the story is that scion the car company uh had money for uh creative marketing uh-huh. They did a creative marketing campaign starting in about 2005 or six, where they would put um, a classic rapper on the road with a live band, and it would be a free show, and it took place in about eight or nine cities around the country, and it would be once a month. And uh, they had a few live bands who would do it, and a- after a while, only one was you know got positive reviews from the the artist and that, that was, was you that was my crew yeah so we just kind of would do it every month we'd go on road on the road with a, a different classic rapper it was it's unbelievable the 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 roster of, of people I got to play with so who was the first the first was Big Daddy Kane right and give a demonstration do you do that yeah, one oh yeah that's ill oh yeah. yeah and I mean and I got I mean I got to do all sorts of stuff I got to like play uh, the you know the boop wee dee dee boop wee dee dee here I yeah. am I, I get to play that like on the trumpet you know like that was this, the coolest how big like, was the so, band uh, the band was about eleven people big you know yeah two guitar players Jeez, a keyboard please. player three horns percussion you know it was it was a, it was a it was a big band it was it was doing it right for these guys. And I'm sure a situation where a lot of these MCs, like the label money and all that stuff, kind of maybe had faded away more. And so to have it underwritten by a, a car company probably allowed them this musical exploration that was like equally thrilling for them, right? Yes, it, it, it was. For Everyone was pretty much excited to be there because they were getting paid very well. Right. And also they were kind of exploring this, you know, maybe they are, a lot of them, 
you know, f- feel like their stature is like, you know, of of a like a respected artist that should be have some sort of, um, you know, just a little more gravitas. And the band brought that to them. You know, it didn't work yeah. out a couple times. Like I don't know, MOP just sort of like kind of fired us on stage. Really? That was. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of an awkward situation. <laughs> They Where had, were you when that happened? They, I mean, they had a deal. I think we were in St. Louis oh. at the old Rock House, which is a great venue. But we, you know, they some of them are really attached to their DJs. You know, right, right. You know, I mean, Kane brings his DJ along, Skaz, and he's like a member of the band. DJ Maceo from De La Soul. They're musicians. They can play with the, a band. You know, they know. What, to, what the, 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 the spaces to fill. The, the DJ that MOP brought along was just sort of play their tracks and, and right. out of tune, you know, at different speeds. So it didn't sync up with the band. Right. And just, it just sounded like a, a big mess. And, you know, I mean, right. we, we would just play, you know, Annie up and everyone would go crazy. Couldn't hear anything anyway. Right, right, you know, right. But, but so, so you would, would you be say to the DJ like, "Yo, you know, we've really put a lot of time to learn to be in the key, or you just kind of let it slide?" The, I, I didn't get involved in that one, right? At, at a certain point, you just it's like the DJ would be better served just pressing play on iTunes and then cutting with Serato, yeah, with just yes. sample breaks, and yes. then it sounds amazing. Well, right? some some DJs don't have that kind of musicality. You know, that's what I'm saying with, you know, Maceo and, um, you know, uh, uh, Kane's DJ Skaggs. Uh, he, you know, they know how to, they knew how to fit in. They could realize what was going on and, you know, f- find a sample or two or a scratch or like right. their spaces, you know. Some or some DJs are just kind of full of, I mean, what, what's, what's the MC Lars nice word for... That full of full of energy. Yeah. Okay. Full, full of sonic sonic energy. Yeah. Sure. I full have, of sonic energy. I I do this thing. I, it's called the um, MC Lars Lit Hop Academy, and I mm-hmm. do like Skype lessons with rappers, mm-hmm. and um, we go through, and I have a lesson plan, and um, and the first and the second lesson, I have them listen to Kind of Blue mm-hmm. and count, just count, and not be distracted. And I think what's mm-hmm. so great about that record. Is the most interesting thing to me about that record it was where Miles does not play. Yeah, his silences. Mm-hmm. And as a guitarist, a jazz guitarist, I used to go to jazz guitar camp down here in L.A. I think the Claremont College actually. And that that was they'd say, okay, well, you know, you guys are your axe players, but you should listen to Miles. And I think that's like a, a kind of example of what we're talking about: tasteful musicians. Yeah. No, no one to shut up. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was wondering where you're going with that. I sh- should have caught on after a while. Yeah, but yeah. It's in what Miles is. People say that Miles's beauty is sometimes in the spaces, and yeah. that he was, he knew when to, you know, let everyone else shine or just let it ride. Yeah, and that was a cool thing about Run DMC is that what I love. Like, have you ever seen the Live Aid? live performance with the three of them uh, no it's on youtube it's worth watching mm-hmm. where um jam master jay is doing all the flashy stuff and where he just kind of lays back mm-hmm. and and where he cuts the beat and lets them carry it and mm-hmm. anyway so because rappers 
rappers tend to have a lot of confidence in themselves mm-hmm. and DJs too, and that's why they're able to survive as this kind of postmodern cut and paste genre. That's really people. Some people their criticism of hip hop is that it's not musical, but it really is. It really is one of the most musical things in the world. It it really is. I have, I I there are definitely gaps in my hip hop knowledge because I sort of came to it late. I didn't really come to it till I was working in it, you know, but huh. at being, having studied jazz and classical music, I was really taken with the musicality of hip hop and have s- such respect for be- Like I still can't make a, a brilliant beat, you know, the way I want to. I don't know why, you know, I could play a great jazz solo, hmm. you know, I, there, there's something special about those people, you know? Well, the standout song from Zombie Dinosaur is uh-huh. a beat you produced. And it was interesting because it was some stuff you'd been working on with another artist friend of yours, Never Afraid. Oh, yes. All right. You and Charlene had worked uh-huh. on it. And uh-huh. we, we sampled your track and mm-hmm. added stuff. And, and it was like interesting because I heard in that, the, I love the melody and, and the, uh-huh. the chords. And Party with Lars, that's another one you did. The ones where we had like a specific concept. Oh, we did a lot of songs that then morphed into other stuff. Like we did the L- Yo Llama song. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, one? yes. And we just yeah, had no, a- that, that, I, that I think fell out of my hands eventually though. <laughs> I really still do. Once in a while I open up the folder of the yeah. original Yo Llama and I really, I like the, the original thing I did on it. Yeah. I did kind of like an Egyptian thing, you remember? Yeah. Yeah. And it was yeah, that was really early on in my beat making. So, yeah. Jordan, mm-hmm. I want to get back to the beat making stuff, uh-huh. but first I want to talk about where'd you grow up? You're East Coast guy, right? Long Island, New York, East Meadow, Long Island. Huh. And what? Where about is that on the island? That's right in the middle of Nassau County. Is that near Bethpage? It is about 15 minutes southwest of. Bethpage. Oh, oh, really? Yes, very close. So that's um, very, very close. Long Island is the home of a lot of great rap, like EPMD. Mm-hmm. Yes, Public Enemy. Oh, EPMD, who I also got to play with. That's kind of on cool. a tour. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, my friend Brandon from Weedis talks about mm-hmm. how Long Island is like a terminus point, meaning, and that's where like guys like Jack Kerouac came from. Mm-hmm. Culture goes there. It's like Florida. Culture mm-hmm. goes in there and stays, and kind of grows and changes but it's this place where since since it's like you can't leave stuff stays and kind of takes on a life of its own Mm -hmm. what do you what's your feeling about being from there is that unfair like typification i mean i was i'm a little jaded about long island's culture because when i was in my uh, first year of college i I read i was in my like jazz snob phase and i read a book by uh, this guy, Kenny Werner, who is a virtuistic piano player and sort of uh, kind of like a jazz guru, kind of helps you, uh, you know, get in touch with your voice. And the first line in the book is, I grew up on Long Island, a cultural wasteland. Oh, God. And I just kind of have had that in my head because Kenny Werner, you know, he's a... But it's taken, you know... Over you know twenty years to realize oh, he has no idea what he's talking about. You know we really mm. do. We we really 
have produced some pretty incredible things. Twisted Sister. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Billy Joel is um, an incredible songwriter. You know, I mean, I'll, yeah, a lot of great totally. people come, come from Long Island. But I'd have to uh, discuss Terminus Point with your friend from Weedis to understand more what he's talking about. He means that yeah. people who leave there mm-hmm. tend to have more success. And I don't know. Okay. We, yes. And I but, mean, that's. But that's anywhere. In, in the short. World. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um, also, I get the, the who Kenny Warner. Is that the guy? You Kenny talking? Warner. So, yes. so I imagine he wrote that with pre-internet because now it doesn't really matter where you live because culture is everywhere. And yes. So that's yes. maybe an old perspective. It was probably 96, 97. And you would yeah. have been in high school. No, I was I was just my first year of college. And you were like, yeah. and where'd you go to college? Um, I went to SUNY Albany, Nassau Community College, and Hofstra University. Wow. Yes. So you stayed out there. Never for very long, any of them. And you, your degree was in music or composition? No degree. You just left to no, do music. I, but first poli-sci, yeah. then, then nothing, and then jazz composition, and then... I went on the road with a band that opened for Dave Matthews Band in 1999, and I was like, this is it's okay. This is my life now. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get on another tour bus for at least another 10 years, but <laughs> I, was, I thought that was my life. I was like, I'm done with school. Yeah. Forget it. <laughs> Do you, did you um, – what instruments – did you? What was your primary instrument then, or were you still multi-instrumental? It was, it was it, trumpet. Was the bread and butter for a really long time. Cool. And then, how did you get to California? I had. I grew up with uh, two of my best friends from high school. We had a band, Common Rotation, and uh, they moved out before me. Uh, one of the guys is an actor, and he he moved out to California to, to be in Hollywood mm. and the rest of the guys moved that with him. And I kind of had left the band or, you know, some say they kicked me out. That's they, you know, they did, I guess. But I, I, I played with funk bands in New York and, yeah. uh, my uncle's wedding band and, toured around a little bit on the East Coast, did that band that opened for Dave Matthews, Robin the Boy Wonder with the Rainbow Trout. And then um, uh, when all of that kind of fell apart, you know, my two best friends were like, let's come out to California and join the band again, you know? So I stayed on their couches for a while. And when was, what year are we talking about? 2003. Oh, wow. About 2002, 2003. So what's interesting to me is that like that is around then is when I kind of got my start 2003 Mm -hmm. and that the early 2000s was such an interesting time for hip hop Mm -hmm. and the internet specifically. Mm -hmm. And so here you are, multi-instrumentalist, dreamer, Mm -hmm. Kerouac figure with the less (laughs) darkness coming to the West Coast. And were you living, were you in Silver Lake or where were you living? We were, I I was staying, well, I I split my time between San Luis Obispo. Mm. I had a saxophone playing uh, cousin or second cousin up there. And I was able to get some gigs and stay with him on his family's, you know, fruit ranch. 
and also uh, Melrose and Fairfax with my friend from Common Rotation. Wow. And kind of like get things going yeah. in music in, in Hollywood. And then he, because he was on a show that had like a cult following, mm-hmm. you'd play a lot of conventions around that show, right? Yes. And, yes. And that, for how long did that, like, would you say that circuit lasted? Did you toured England and the world, Yeah, right? I mean, with England, Australia, we were all over the world. He was on, he was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And they, yeah. while that show was running and, and after it was canceled, they had conventions all over the world just for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And we would go and be the entertainment at these conventions. And we would make great money and we would sell records. But that was, we didn't realize that that was basically going to be the end. Because even though, I mean, after Buffy, we started playing just sci-fi conventions in general, like Comic-Con-like events all over the world. But the, the thing is that the, people don't share music, really. It's, it's not about the music. It's just at those conventions, it's, it's just an artifact from the convention. It's just an experience oh. that they have and something to take home. It's not like they're, they're like music lovers, you know, spreading music. That's interesting. So, and also, you know, music business people didn't quite take us seriously because we were on that kind of, of a circuit. Would you have, so, would it, were you ever tempted to do an album with songs about Buffy or did that? No, we, yeah. we never fully, we were way too cool for it. That would have been too nerdy. No, we were all, yeah, <laughs> we were always too cool. We were serious. It was sincere folk music. It was sincere protest music. It was never like catering to them. It mm. was, it was, you know. You just happened to be, have been on the show. You know, yeah. Yeah. And so that's interesting. So were you kind of like the band leader and the music director in that project? I was, no, I was just like the color guy. You know, my, my other, my other friend was, uh, you, you know, he was like the main singer and songwriter and he's still Eric Cuffs. He still writes songs. I still play with him and he's, he's still like an, an, an artist. Yeah. You know, and the other guy was the kind of the personality and sang in harmony with Eric. And I would kind of make, you know, that's when I turned into a multi-instrumentalist. Wow. That's why I started playing banjo and I started playing guitar more and other brass instruments just so that the songs wouldn't get boring and there were more colors in every song. I would like, I was the color guy, I would call myself. <laughs> and there was no tracks, I imagine, right? No, we didn't use any that's tracks. No. You had yeah. a drummer or no? Uh, sometimes, but mm. most of the time we would just travel with the three of us. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So what led you, what, how did you meet Dan Byrne? Had he heard of Common Rotation? Well, when we were in high school, the, you know, the first iteration of the band, we got a gig at the NASA Community College Folk Festival that Dan Byrne headlined. And we played first in the uh-huh. day. And we kind of, I would call and book gigs at coffee houses trying to like get us to play. And I would say, you know, we opened for Dan Byrne. You know? yeah. And they'd be like, yeah, okay, sure. You yeah. must be legit, you know. So I sort of made our career on that. Uh-huh. For the first couple of years, the band existed. We were always big fans. And when we moved to Hollywood, he was here also. And uh, we ended up meeting him through a mutual friend. And uh, Who's the mutual friend? Or is uh, that private? 
It's private. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And so you were like, no, I, it's not private. It's, oh. His name is David Berman. He's a he was a he's an actor and a, he was on uh, CSI. He oh. was the lab guy on CSI for all the seasons. He's a researcher. He's also friends with Dan and friends with us. Here's a crazy thing about you, Jordan, and I love this about you because I've lived in LA off and on for like most of my career. Mm -hmm. You're not a name dropper. You get, uh, we'll talk about stuff and it will come up like, oh yeah, Brother Ali, when we tour, he does this or blah, blah, blah. Like what? You're touring Brother Ali? Like so many people who don't, this is not to put other people on blast and I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. People who don't necessarily have the musical chops spend a lot of their time talking about people they know in LA or projects they're doing. Whereas like we sat down and like today you're like, oh yeah, I did all, I did all the music for Drop the Mic or blah, blah, blah. You don't boast about your achievements and I like that about you. And that inspires me, man, because you're not, like I interviewed my this woman Erin Tonkin who produ who worked on Bowie's last record. Mm -hmm. and she talks about how Bowie would never sit and talk about all his great past records. Mm -hmm. It's always about the practical stuff that he's working on right. and the friendships he's making and the the hard work he approaches music. And so, as an aside, I just want to say that it's I thought it was tight. You didn't want to you didn't want to name drop there. Oh, thanks, <laughs> Lars. I feel like if David listened to this, he would want me to say his name. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I Shut thought about him. it for a second. <laughs> yeah, you have to thank for that. Yes, yes. So then, common rotation. You would act as Burns' backup, right? Because I saw you. Yeah, in, yeah. in Berkeley. Would, yes, yeah. yes. So, so for a while, we met him, and we um, we were working on a movie, and he collaborated with us on the movie. What was wrote, the movie? Wrote a bunch of songs it's called Drones. Okay. I don't know if you can get it anywhere. Maybe no. an iTunes movie Maybe. store. Yeah. But he wrote a bunch of songs we recorded with him. And then we struck up this friendship. And, you know, obviously we, you know, I mean, he's my favorite songwriter. Yeah. I'm lucky to know him and to be so close to him and to, like, you know, get iPhone demos of songs that maybe no one else will ever hear, you know, right. and just have all this, just be so close to him. Um, you know, he's a, 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 one of my favorite human beings and just songwriter. He's how often do you get to be friends with your favorite songwriter? It's, you know, and before I knew him, he was my favorite songwriter. Right. That is kind of cool. Well, yeah. you, yeah, it's, there's a lot, to, there's a lot to be said about like your story and how we met is this, mm -hmm. this idea of like, if you believe in yourself, you show up, you take yourself seriously, you're kind to people and you're, you know, respectful and nice good things happen to you good things good connections happen opportunities present themselves where you get to shine and i think that's important and I, and it's like a theme on the podcast about like whether that's been circumvented by the smartphone generation and if it's different now or is it a culture of like of hardworking musicians who really care about the craft and the chops and put time into like practicing like what have you seen with the younger artists you work with these days is there a different attitude? I do see some like run before you walk kind of attitude with some younger people, but also there are people who are really inspired to do the work to, you know, get their voice or their chops or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I, you know, right. but there's definitely this, it's, it's easier in some ways. And you work with a lot of like actors and people who are like famous in other 
ways that yes. that decide they want to do music. How do you meet these people? Uh, it's friends the, of friends. I live in Hollywood. I don't know. That's, <laughs> yeah, you know, I've, I, I, this that's just that's a supermarket. Right. I don't know. <laughs> like my friend, <laughs> Jordan, you'll be like Jordan. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. I have a friend who does music. You should meet him. Like just like yeah. that, really. Yeah, that's kind of you, cool. you know, like once it's. I live and die by colleague referrals. You know, I meet right. most of the people I work with through other musicians, other people, artists that I work with. That vouch for you. Yeah. So, for in- instance, Jensen, mm-hmm. who, um, great writer, great mm-hmm. rapper, great mm-hmm. person. Um, I knew about Hot Carl years ago through the internet. Mm-hmm. And um, I-, I-, I just somehow through the internet we linked and I was on his podcast. And it's very interesting to see what he's done with his career as yeah. like a musician and a producer and and a um, person who doesn't limit himself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you guys are cut from a similar cloth, right? Jensen and I definitely got along the first time I met him yeah. through Martin. Martin Starr. Yes. Yeah. Martin brought Jensen over to my house to rap. And I was like, How did Martin know? Him? He's amazing. Hollywood. Supermarket. Hollywood. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You know, and I've been, you know, and I, I was always, you know, Jensen and I would get together once in a while or I would see him or, you know, he would work with me once in a while if he needed something, a podcast theme song or. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, yeah, I am, I am inspired by, by Jensen and, you know, now he's a morning radio show host. Right. You know, who's thought that coming? I mean, uh, he was my boss on he was the producer yeah. of a whole TV show for three seasons. Yeah. And, you know, the top, you know, like, or, and he also can like freestyle rap. Great rapper. He can just, just come up with it. You yeah. Know, he's like, he like highest form of the art freestyle, you know, like can, he can do it. You know, did you read his book? I read his book. It's pretty good, right? Kanye West also owes him money. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> you know. Yes, um, I I love the book. I love that book because, well, first of all, here's two things I love about it. I love how you know at the end the scene at the end where he's like down in Mexico or something for spring break and it's like not going well mm-hmm. and he's like not feeling good and he's like you know maybe I'll try something else. I love that because I know so, so many musicians who have been in that situation who don't think like him, like maybe I'll try something else. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. That he, he being a few years older than me, he came up like in the old model of music and mm-hmm. the internet wasn't as accessible to him, mm-hmm. but we all knew who Carl was because yeah. of his kind of like notoriety as this due to a sign to Interscope and then kind of moved on quickly right. and didn't let that destroy him. Mm-hmm. And um, I like that scene a lot. And I also like how, he ha- includes his his first raps as a kid, right. which uh, were still like really kind of fun and uh, cool. He wasn't too he wasn't precious about them, like the, like you know that this idea of like being an art burner. Mm-hmm. You can't be too precious about everything you do. It doesn't have to be perfect. You just got to tell your story mm-hmm. and present it. And that book I think is a classic. So those are my favorite parts. What do you yeah. like about it? Jensen is an artist. Yeah, you know he is an artist in every capacity. He has. A, a great ear and also a great eye. He's, you know, he's a, a, a art gallery owner. Right. And he also knows his limitations. Like, I'm like, Jensen, this like concept of gallery 1988 is amazing. Like he, and he like told me not too long ago, like, 
I don't know. I don't think I'm cool anymore. You know, I think I don't think I got it anymore. This, you got to see all this other stuff that's going on. I don't know. I don't my mm. finger on the pulse. You know, like he is, he he will evolve. Right. He's not afraid to evolve. He's now evolved into fatherhood and familyhood, and you know, like he's. So I would say, my favorite thing about working with him is sort of his like fearlessness. Fearlessness. There yeah. you go, man. That's like a really, that's a great word. And that's something that, that's something, you touched on something very kind of like, that's a central theme of our kind of a discussion is that, that fearlessness is kind of rooted in belief in yourself mm-hmm. and putting in the effort to make sure that what you have is special and original and you put in like 10,000 hours. You know what I mean? Right? Like you can't be fearless if you're not good, but you can't be good if you're not fearless. Oh, just thought of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, um, it's really, it, it must have been interesting doing the, when you're working on Drop the Mic, working with the Muppets, right? And all these amazing people. Like, I bet you had some moments where you where you were like, this is crazy. This is my life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, you know, the Muppets was one thing. That Watching the Muppets, like, freestyle, or not freestyle, just rap. Yeah. Was amazing. Learn how to rap or, like, figure out. You know, watching Jensen teach the Muppets how to rap right. was pretty amazing. Right. But also watching the actual mechanics of the Muppets working. You know, there are screens all over, so I'm seeing what's going on on the screen. And, you know, Kermit is alive, you know. And then it's cut. And the the the, the most amazing thing was, was watching Kermit, like, die, basically. Mm. And just drop down like lose just right. the life goes out of him and then drops down it's oh yeah it's a guy sitting below kermit is just a puppet right but he's, he's they're so alive while you know while they're doing their thing yeah my favorite part of jensen's book yeah is when at the end when he goes to the restaurant after like everything has fallen apart you know years later and he sees jimmy Iovine, right that's and he's like not afraid to get up and just you know say you know, Jimmy, it's it's me, it's Jensen, it's Hot Carl, like, I've had a pretty good life or whatever, you yeah. know, like, whatever he says to him, you know, like, he's, he like, you know, he'll, he wasn't afraid to get up and talk to him. And know? thank him for the opportunity. Yes. yes. That's so classy. Yes. Yeah. That's a mensch move. Yeah. And yeah. then, the, and then he says, he doesn't know if Jimmy remembers him or not. Right. Right. But right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And yeah. that's, what's great about the book because yeah. it's like the hero's journey. Yes. That's that's a really good uh-huh. ending, yeah. And it's kind of just the beginning for him. Yep. Um, back to the Muppets. Were they like elevated? I'm glad you remember that. <laughs> were they elevated? No. Yeah. They were okay. So they they bring in these. First of all, the the Muppets. The, every TV show has their camera crew. Has their all the. They were like, okay, here's how we're gonna do it. I was in the meeting in the morning. They're like, we're gonna shoot it from this way. This, is, you know. They had all this whole plan. Right. And the Muppets get there, and the actual puppeteers, the dudes, are like, here's how you do it. You know, and they're like, they are so pro. They're like, this is how you shoot the Muppets. Right. Like they're telling the DP, they're telling everybody. Right, right. So they bring in these chairs, and they, they sit on the floor in these, like, what look like office chairs with no legs on them. Okay. You know, and they're very, you know, they can move around real easy. They have real silent wheels. Oh. And they're on the, they're on the so they're comfortable. 
And their legs and are like in so front? So they're on the floor. Or they yes, still their legs kneel. are in front. Okay. Right. And they, so some of them knelt or some of them, but yeah, so they, they had to adjust for that. But they're, they're like sitting below. So the camera has to stay at like urinine yes. waist level or yes. higher. Yes, Mo very, very important. But doesn't Kermit have like two people working, like one person the mouth and the hand and the second person the other hand? I don't remember yeah. that. I thought it was one Kermit guy. And then whoever's doing his voice is also speaking on a microphone, which is recorded. Right, yeah. It's they've not got, they've, to got, the track. they've got laughs. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That must yeah. have been awesome. Drop the Mic had celebrities on right. every day. We had celebrities in, we had Shaq, we had like, we had big and small. We had in sync, right? We had so yeah, we had t just tons of celebrities, and you know, and we we it you get used to it, right? You know, and everyone's pro, right? The Muppets, the, it was like they needed to organize photos because everybody was just like we need. We need a we need a photo. So they organized, but the whole cast and crew stood online for photos with the Muppets, and I was for like kinda, hours. That was the only time I really I pulled rank. I was like, I'm on camera talent. I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'm walking up to the front of the line, you know, with with the producers, you know. <laughs> and I and I was one of the first people, and I went and uh, I had my trumpet, you know, right, pictures right. with my trumpet, and the guy who played Pepe, you know, he was over my shoulder, he was like, ah, trumpet, like Louis Prima, and I didn't know what to say, it was, a, it was awesome. Did you get to like- That was the best day. Did you get to like, touch Kermit? I didn't really touch them, they, yeah. did, they, they were sitting on my shoulders and yeah. stuff, but they didn't, I didn't really like- they, so, um, they, were, they were super nice. They probably yeah. would have would have let us, or maybe some people did. But. I wonder if he's how he feels. But they're all. I mean, they also have like like puppet handlers, you know. Right. Like, but not not the puppeteers, the people who like protect the puppets when they're not in use. You know, they're, like no no coffee next to Miss Biggie, yeah. despite what she says. Right. And they're like, yeah, this is like we've been working on this puppet project for oh, that's a right. long time, and uh -huh. I learned. One of the things I learned early on is how potentially expensive these, <laughs> these little plush animals can be. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. So Kermit, uh -huh. yeah, it's like you want you can't you can't just let Kermit sit on a chair. Uh -huh. You have to have someone look after him. Have you had that experience of like seeing it alive and then just watching it like fall into nothing? Yeah, that is. Have you? I have, and it's interesting because our this guy Pickles, this robot. Some of the listeners uh -huh. have probably seen some of the YouTube stuff. This character that. I came up with he um so many of our friends have puppeteered him right uh -huh. so along your point like maybe 10 different people have worked with him he he's always the same character no matter who's doing him doing the voice or whatever you know what i mean uh -huh. like and then he, he and then when he falls falls asleep he's mm -hmm. the, he's the same sleeping pickles but uh -huh. what's creepy is their eyes stay open right I have this right. MC Lars puppet that I was doing these like puppet rap parodies and he sits on a printer in my office and he's just, it's sad. I always want to have his hat over his eyes because <laughs> it's like, it's, it's uncanny, right? Um, but anyway, you executive produced De La Soul's big comeback record that got a Grammy nomination and you yes. were working on that for many years, right? Many years. Was Did you meet De La Soul through that touring project? or We, we met them uh, through the, the Scion tours. Uh, a few of the artists uh, kept us on. You know, Ghostface could afford to do a tour with us. Rakim 
mm. uh, Ali, brother mm. Ali, David Banner, little brother, had us on Kane, Big Daddy Kane, had us on a bunch of stuff. Um, but uh, Dela was the one who we worked with the most, probably for ten years. Uh, my partner Davey and I did their their band. Wow, and you produced. You executive produced the record. Yes. Which was, remember you were always talking to me about it because you were doing it while you're working on mine. Yeah. And I always felt grateful that I got, got time with you. I get to you. play the beats as they were developing. Yeah. And that's, on the yeah. DL, I was hearing yeah. it as it yeah. came together. And yeah. that kind of came, it's interesting, you talked about working with Dave Matthews when you were younger out of mm-hmm. college. And it seems like that album came about through kind of a more jamming kind of vibe, right? Like. It did. the The concept was, you know, no, because Dela has had so many issues in the past with samples. No, you know, samples outside of what we make in the studio, and uh, no producers outside of, you know, who was in the room when we were making the record. Right. Wow. And and that's how it went. But you you had it was a long process because you did so many songs, right? Extremely, extremely yeah. long. We have uh, hundreds of hours of jams that we did. Wow! In the studio, that's that was part of my job was to because we have equity in the record. All the musicians have writing and uh, publishing mm. on all the songs that they played on. Mm. So part of my job was to keep track of who is in the studio, who is playing what, for what jams. And then translate that. So whoever was uh, taking those jams and making beats out of them, right? where <laughs> those beats came from, what sessions, so who played on them. So we knew who had equity in those beats and those, so, and eventually those songs. What a, um important task because... That we've talked about this on the podcast, that can quickly become very subjective and ego driven. So, you were given the honor of like honor, right? The 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 yes. executive privilege, everyone still talks to me, so yeah. it's yeah, that's good. You yes. had you were you like with spreadsheets yes. or like okay, yeah, I had I had tons of spreadsheets, but and then after yeah. we we had to decide what the, the the splits were, you know, who had what percentages, you know, how what their what everyone's contributions was, it wasn't equal contribution so the splits but you know got a little heated at some point easily like fractions of decimals right i mean some 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 of the songs have very wide splits yes what was david byrne like david byrne was great i mean that so we were in the studio we were playing one of the beats as they were developing Uh and i think dave turned to me true goy the dove or whatever did dave from De La Soul, said, you know, I, I would love if uh, D- David Byrne would sing on the song. And I was like, I know his m- music director. I mean, call him right now. <laughs> and we had David Byrne on the phone, you know, 20 minutes later, right, ready to collaborate. Of course, he knew them probably, and, right? And from them, of course, he knew yeah. who De La Soul was. Yeah. And that was really cool. Um, David's song ended up sort of being like two songs that we mashed together. In, um, it, it, we mostly worked remote with him. We never, I've never met him. Okay, we just worked remote with him. Well, wasn't that one of the you first know? in the project? That was one of the first. So that was one of the first collaboration, and ever since 
and that I got to hear collaboration. Yeah. He, I was the like, okay, we want Axl Rose. Jordan, go get Axl Rose. You know, it was like Paul McCartney. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do what I can, you know? So they, pro- they must have so been, I got, yeah, stoked on that. I got about, yeah. So who else, who else was like surprisingly easy to get? Uh, Little Dragon. Okay. Was really cool. Uh, was Snoop was, was Snoop easy? To well, get? I mean, that was a call that those guys made. I yeah, didn't, I right, didn't, right. I didn't make that call. Right. Those guys were, you know, Snoop was easy to to get. Well, I mean, I got Dan Byrne on a song. Yeah, we had. I had uh, tried to get Will Oldham, Bonnie Prince Billy, mm. on it. Yeah, and I have a version of him singing the song that Byrne sang, and oh, um, like. They all like wanted a little bit different, and you know, Will was like, "No, that's what you get." You know, he did that song with that Sage it. Francis. You know, that song yeah. "Sea Lion." That's no, how I first was introduced to him. No, um, which is great. That's interesting. So, so then, so Dan Byrne ended up being on the record. Yeah. Well, actually, that song is only like bonus material. And so you did it. It's you called did "Untold." A, the song's called "Untold." Yeah. You did or a, "Unfold." Infamously. Famous Kickstarter where you raised over a million bucks, right? Uh, it's three quarters of a million. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. that must be the biggest hip hop Kickstarter of all I time. I think up until yeah, uh, uh, wait, yes, it was. I don't know if it's been. I'm sure it's been beaten by now. But I remember you were telling me when you were about to launch it, and we were watching. I was like, yo, we. I was so proud of you because you were kind of on the forefront of the business side of helping crowd with the crowdfunding, right? Well, well when we started the record. I was like, let's let's crowdfund this. Let's get you know, let's do it. And De La, it took a really long time for them to come around on it. You know, when af- after a year or two of us doing these sessions where we were jamming and you know making the creating the music, and they'd fly in from New York, they, right? They'd fly in from New York yeah. and stay in L.A. for two weeks, and we would work you know every day or every other day. And they, you know, we were funding it. The, my partner Davey and I were calling in favors with the studio, and they mm. all was paying half, and we were like keeping track mm. of their, um, uh, of their, uh, you know, their hotel expenses. At one point, I brought in John DiMaggio to Bender, oh right, to uh, yeah. to to pay for some of the record to be an investor, and he's he was like involved in it for a while too, and the you know it was costing a lot of money, and I was like. Could we, you know, let's crowdfund, crowd, let's Kickstarter, Kickstarter. And finally, they came around on it and got serious about it. And once we informed Kickstarter that we were considering doing it, they kind of held their hand through the whole thing. What was your goal? Do you remember? Was it three quarters of a million? No, our goal was like a quarter of a million to start. And then, you know, it's a 30-day campaign and we like doubled it the first day. So we, we just... Went for it because their last one, what was it, the AOI Bionics, mm-hmm. which was two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah, it was w- long before. I think the grind date might have been. No, the grind date was before that. Hmm. They were nine, maybe. It's interesting because they they are and were this mysterious band, and now there's all this stuff with <laughs> Tommy, their label, and Spotify, and like this question of like, when are we going to be able to stream? those classic old records. Did they ever talk to you about that business stuff or not really? And maybe you can't talk about it. I don't think I should comment on okay. that. Okay. I just know it's been a rocky road. Yeah. Because it's, when, it's been a rocky road for them. When you have 40 samples 
It's like, well, in this era, yeah, how do you, yeah, it's complicated. They've had some very difficult um, business mountains to traverse. Right. I think that's all I'll say. I mean, they've had some like pretty serious roadblocks around along the way. They are top notch artists though. Right. And so Paz and Dave are so creative yeah, and so wonderful to, to work with in making it right. It was the stuff of dreams. Right. Like listening to them, like work out their stuff. Right. Or like, you know, get excited about something that we're doing, you know, like, it was, it was really cool. I'll never forget that. Will they? Do you think they'll do a follow up, or was that kind of like a, like Roger Rabbit, and that it was like such an ordeal to create? I don't know. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. What was it like when you found out you got the Grammy nomination? That was it. Jensen told me. Jensen actually. did. Yes. So you did you know you? Jensen were, texted me at like three thirty in the morning. Yeah. Grammy. And I, <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, because they announced it like in the East Coast at like six oh, a.m. or something. Yeah, right, right. It was like Grammy. I was like, "What is that? What does that mean?" <laughs> so you were like, "What are you talking about?" Did, cool, did you yeah. Google it? Uh, um, I figured it out after. Did you go to minutes. the ceremony? No, but you have a thing on your wall from that yes. you're a nominee. Yes, holler! Yeah. And that wasn't your first record you worked on. You got a nomination for no, it. Right? No, no, no. Okay, well, Jimmy Cliff. Jimmy, we, that one won. Best reggae record, and you per, you performed on it. Yep, that's trumpet what's up. trombone. Yeah, didn't he do that? What is it? The harder they come, right? Mm-hmm. That was like a big influence on a lot of early hip hop DJs. Mm-hmm. The soundtrack to that. That's tight, Jordan. Thanks, Lars. no big deal. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I feel like I've been able to bring up all the stuff and brag for you, but also not just make it about all your accomplishments. And we're gonna get into some like as we wrap this up, some life stuff. Before we do that, though, mm-hmm. let's talk about why we are here in a Pomona in a hotel room recording this podcast. It's uh, hotel is generous, is a generous name for what we're in. But I don't, you know, I don't know you to front really, Lars. So no, no, we're, we're at the nights. Yeah, the nights in. It's I guess you could say it's a motel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely There's a one no guessing. It's. One hundred percent a motel. One point because why? Because yes. the halls. What defines a hotel versus a motel? I mean, this is like a drive up to the door kind of place. Just walk. You just strolled in. Yes, it's. I mean, that's zero amenities. The bathtub doesn't work. Yeah. I got this for fifty bucks a night on Hotwire motel. months ago. This motel. motel. Yep. And uh, it's the Knights Inn. And mm-hmm. let's shout it out. Where? What street is it? Motel. It's next to Indian a, something. Indian. It's something. in Claremont. Indian Valley actually. Road. Oh, Claremont. Okay. Anyway. So, but let me tell you a quick story. So we were landing. I was landing last night and I called them like, hey, I'm Andrew. I'm coming in. They're like, oh, you're in a smoking room. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not in a smoking room. And they're like, yes, you are. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And they're like, because you selected smoking on Hotwire. I'm like, well, Hotwire doesn't give you a preference. So I'm like, actually, can I, I kind of got, I'm not, I'm not usually like this. I was like, can I talk to your manager? Uh-huh. I was like, and I said on the phone, I'm going to put myself on blast. I said this on the phone while we're landing. Everyone heard me after nine hours or six hours from New York. I go. Go, oh, is, this is probably why you have a one out of five star review on Yelp, right? And the guy goes, Oh, I know nothing about that. I'm like, Well, you do. So, so I put him on blast. So I check in, no. I get in last night, mm-hmm. and I come to the desk, and I'm like, Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I was grouchy. And he goes, Oh, that was my friend. That wasn't me. He goes, mm-hmm. But guess what? I got you a, a non smoking room because someone wanted a smoking room. Perfect. So they were accommodating. Mm-hmm. 
And then it, you, yeah. it doesn't smell here. It doesn't smell. No, that's that's maybe one of the nice things you can say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. While I'm around MC Lars, I do try and be as positive as possible. Right, but thank you, Jordan. Yes. But um, yeah, we're um, you were like, why didn't you stay at the hotel near? Oh, they don't even know why we're here. Oh uh-huh. yeah. Mm. So here, you do you want to explain it? So three weeks ago, MC Lars and I played. Oh yes, yeah. it's about three weeks, three right? Weeks ago, we played player. Omega. Look on YouTube. Maybe some of them. Uh, I, I hope it it went well. These you'll see how much we slayed it on YouTube. It's a, so it's a gamer. Can, you know way more about it than I do. So, so Kevin Lyman is the dude who started Advanced Warp Tour like twenty five years ago, and I played it many summers. And he called me. He's like, "Hey, we're doing this gamer convention." where we want you to help pick the artist for the music side. And he's like, it's going to be two days. Let us know who you think and like what we should do for music. So I was like, well, so I gave him a list of nerdy friends of mine. Mm-hmm. And I said, and he's like, and we want you to play us. So I said, okay, cool. So what it is, it's like at the Pomona Fairplex where Warp Tour usually is, but it's inside and it's gaming tournaments with a stage in the side where people are like pitching their startup ideas, mm-hmm. doing, com- doing talks on like how to become a professional competitive gamer and then there's nerdy music. And so curated by MC Lars. Curated by MC Lars. Wow. So that's kind of tight. I didn't know that. So yeah, so that's why we got Nerf Herder, uh, I Fight Dragons, Kirby uh, Crackle, uh Super Soul Brothers. That looks like a cool band, Super Soul Brothers. Did I you look them up? Thing? Yeah, they're like a brass band. Yeah, they do yeah. Mario covers with brass music. Cool. They're like Bay Area yeah, frozen. San Jose. Yeah. Yeah. They're tight. I only cool. knew of them. I met them today, but I only knew of them through reputation. Oh. So Anyway, it's going to be real cool. Mm-hmm. But is this we played in the studio a lot, but is this our first show together? Or have you ever played on stage with me? No, I, I've never done stage with you. No. This is the first. I'm really excited. And it's you're, been a long time. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you learned all the songs, mm-hmm. brought all your different instruments, mm-hmm. and we're going to bring the house down. Yeah. It's going to be tight. Yeah, and I'm going to wear a tracksuit. And so we'll match. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I have a collared shirt with mine, though. Okay. Yeah. That's that East Coast style. Yeah. yeah. Um, last thing I want to talk about, Jordan, as we wind down, mm-hmm. you're a father. That is my primary job. That's your primary job. Mm-hmm. And your daughter's two and a half? No, she is three and three quarters. Three? Actually, she's going to be, but by the time this comes out, she'll probably be four. She'll be, <laughs> she's she's gonna be four, four in December. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Um, how. I remember I went once I went to your house and you were recording. She was hanging out on the ground and you're picking uh-huh. up all the instruments. She was a little uh-huh. when she was just born. Uh-huh. How has fatherhood changed you as an artist and a business person? As an artist and a, a business person, it's definitely forced me to become more focused on the time that I have to do art and business. I need to maximize that time. My time for practicing, my time for beat making, my time for work, I've had to be much more focused. I can't just sort of lollygag around with my horn and, you know, you know, play. My warm-up used to be play one note for an hour and watch TV. Can't, or spend four months on an MC Lars record. It's a, yeah, I mean, I, I could still do that. Right. It's probably going to be eight months, right? You know, it's so. It's 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 definitely gotten me in the time that I have to do art and business. I'm more focused on art and business for sure. 
Okay. And is, and so you're more focused and would you argue that you're better now because you're more efficient? Because you've had so much success in the past four years. You've yeah, skyrocketed. I think I, think I would – I don't know. I Yes. But no matter what, if you're more focused or if you're not, it, if you are practicing, you're going to be better than you were, you know, 10 years ago. Right. You know, like. So yes, I'm. I def. I am better. Yeah, I'm trying to get better every day because of time, the passage of time. I'll never be as good as I want to be for sure. And that's, that's I know because my favorite trumpet player is you know he's in his 90s now. He's still. What's his know, name? Say, his name is Jack Sheldon, and he. Uh, it's, I mean, there was a documentary about him, and he was like, "I don't want to die. I'm just starting to get good at the trumpet." Mm. You know. <laughs> It's, you know, Jordan. I wanted to tell you a quick anecdote that's mm-hmm. like related to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember once I worked at this summer camp, and there was this spoken word artist who worked there. His name was Mark, and he was talking about how some people, and he used Miles Davis as an example, never want to necessarily diversify and do a million things because they want to spend their whole life becoming like a Jedi at their instrument, mm-hmm. their craft, and making like or a painter who just likes to do landscapes i think that's a really noble thing like that is your favorite trumpet player that even at 90 he feels like he's just getting started he's mm-hmm. not bored with it mm-hmm. and and um yeah and i wonder like your two passions love uh, your love of music and now being a father and your family like mm-hmm. it seems like the people i know who are at peace who are musicians are the ones who allow those two things to feed each other versus they become with in competition with each other. Yes. Would like would you agree? That's that's true. I mean, I I bring my music to my daughter and I bring my daughter to my music, to right. my work. I mean, she's um once a week I play on the score to NCIS New Orleans. She for the last two seasons, she's been at every session in the control room wow. hanging out with the guys. Yeah. You know, like you know, in the session, you know, it's, I'm, I'm lucky that I, that they're cool with it. Right. But, you know, I brought her into my work and also I bring music to her. We, we listen to all, I mean, she's just for this gig. She hears me preparing for it. Right. She's got flow like Poe down, you know, better than she's me. Probably. Got, yes. And she, this gigantic <laughs> robot kills. She loves that one. That's awesome. Loves it. <laughs> You know, That's awesome. so Thank like you. I bring, I bring music to her, you know, she's got a little banjo she has a toy trumpet. She has a, you know, piano that she writes songs on. Really? Yeah. And she, and I don't really push her to do it. Right. She's the kind of girl who, you know, she sees things that I like and things that her, my wife Lisa likes and, you know, she wants to find her way uh-huh. into those things. Cause your you know? wife is also a creative person yes she's a writer and a, a musician a singer writer yeah 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 that's did it. we do a track with her one time yes we did this uh-huh. is the track we worked on uh-huh. we worked on um there's a beautiful it's one of the best songs we did okay lisa wrote some rhymes 
on the demo of Yolama oh, that were very did? funny. Uh-huh. These, let me uh-huh. shout her out for some of her favorite, her, her best rhymes. She goes, she goes. You remember? Yes, I do. She goes, she goes. Um, it's an awkward experience. I'll tell you what to do. Got a one-way ticket packed from Lima to Timbuktu. <laughs> Don't talk to my girl like she's an ordinary mammal. Don't call my girl the c-word. She's a llama, not a camel. <laughs> so Lisa had like these bars, and that's oh, yeah. So anyway, that was a. Uh, that was a great song. Yeah, so she's very funny. She's better than me. <laughs> well, you're a good team. Yeah. How did you two meet? Uh, we we met on a Martin Star gig. Oh, you did. Yeah, same way I met you, Lars. Was she singing yeah. or was she there? No, she was friends with the girl who was singing, oh. and they drove down to San Diego together. And I met Lisa on that gig, and it was fireworks. Yeah, I mean, shortly after it was fireworks. Mm, okay. Sure, I took a little convincing. I yeah. on you know my yeah. part, but. You took. You had to convince her. To I had to convince her. You. Yeah, because you were this this traveling musician who worked with all these rappers and. Yeah. Also, she was. I think she, she was seeing someone else oh, at the time. Oh, but I, was, <laughs> I met my wife at a gig too, and she was seeing someone else. <laughs> and so it took some convincing. There we go. There we go. Yeah, and then okay, so that's what's up. It's happily married. Yeah, beautiful but I, daughter. I do like to collaborate with her on you know, on projects and stuff, but. We don't get to do it as often as uh, as as we want to, but I can't. The next time she says we don't do enough enough stuff together, I'm gonna point her to the MC Lars that we've Love done together. Demos. Yeah, there's two jams. We're tired. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember when when I saw you guys when your daughter was born, mm-hmm. and I'm not gonna say her name on the air because that's private. Mm-hmm. Um, she was Lisa was saying how being a mother was taking a lot of her creative energy, but she couldn't wait to get back into writing and stuff. And so, uh, yeah. She's, after four years, she's, sorry, is that where you're going to no, ask yeah, yeah. me? Yeah, my, my question is like, at? Yeah, yeah. Um, she's almost back. It it takes a long time. Yeah. It takes a long time. It, it like, it, and she's starting to write about just that. About motherhood is it? About how long it takes to get back to, you know, equilibrium. So do you spend more time with your daughter because your wife goes off to work, right? Yeah, she has a nine to five job yeah. or a seven to four job. Or, so you and and I, I'm since six months of Edie's life, I'm I'm primary all day. That's amazing. I do our do our activities all day. I take her to preschool now. I participate it's a co-op preschool i I do the co-op days you know i take her to gymnastics i play tennis with her you know i make her three meals a day basically you're up at 4 a.m and you swim yourself 4 15 okay 4 15 you go to the racket club to swim yes yeah i try i was always impressed by that yeah and that um some people just have a lot of energy and Mm -hmm. you had energy to come down to claremont do a whole hour talking to MC Lars about your successes and your victories and fatherhood. And I appreciate it, Jordan. I'm so, uh, Lars, I'm so honored that you asked me first to play with you. I'm so, I'm, I'm so excited to do it. I hope it works out great and we could do it again at least one more time. Or at least a, a thousand, thousand more times. Right. Hey, we both said uh, a thousand. Right, it's going to happen. That's tight. And then... That you asked me to do the podcast. You're, uh, uh, like I said, you're a mensch. You make me want to be a better person. You are a positive influence 
on the world. And Thanks, uh, it's, you know, we need you. Thank you, Jordan. Same. Well, um, I appreciate this time. And I always like to end with two things. First, where do you like, do you, are you like, you're active on social media or no? Yeah. I mean, a little. I have Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Trumpet Jory, right? Trumpet Jory, J O R Y, at Trumpet Jory. Yes. The same for both. Same for both. And um, I'm wondering, would it be tight to end with your favorite song from the De La Soul record, maybe? Or. Yes. That would be cool, right? Yeah. You're going you're gonna to play it? Yeah. I'll download it and I'll just edit it in. So maybe yes. introduce it and talk about it for a minute if you yes. want. Yes. Yes. I think my favorite song from the De La Soul record, it started out as a beat that we called U3 because the song sounded like U2. Okay. That's good. <laughs> uh, and uh, it kept, we had this folder that we all shared. Yeah. And of the, like, of the, like, songs in consideration and it kept um getting moved out of the folder and i kept moving it in i really man also davy um would uh would would move it back into the folder because we really believed in it who would move and it would it be accidental or would it would be, be like poster dave would be like we're not feeling it oh. and like i would like, just shift it how that happen? back right. in and yeah. it was so it was it was very I, I i always just really believed in it and uh we were sitting in the studio one day and dave you know was like why do you keep why you keep going to bat for this beat and i was like i don't know i just i'm i i think it's there's a lot there i i really i love it and i think that if you thought i played him um uh the Talking Heads tune. I played him, um, and you may find yourself in a shotgun oh, shack. And he might, I was like, if you kind of think like that, maybe. Yeah. And uh, and and he got it from then on. And he um, he he also he had, he had lost his mother, and he kind of made it uh, about that. And he came up with a hook that was like, "We're still here now," and. Uh, so we ended up collaborating with Damon Auburn on it. So what's this song called? Here and After. Okay. I present Here and After. From De La Soul and the Anonymous Nobody. And um, all right, well, this, this sounds like a, that's a good story to end on. Yeah. Um, what are you working on right now? Well, this week, uh, Bob's Burgers. <laughs> oh, uh, no big deal. NCIS New Orleans, a uh, new Disney Plus show that I'm doing songs for. And uh, Dan Byrne. And then uh, I have uh, so working with Devendra Banhart. Pretty full. Mm-hmm. Pretty full schedule. Yes. That's awesome. All right. Well, we're going to end with this De La Soul song with uh, Damon Albarn. How do you say that? Yeah, Damon Albarn. From Blur? Gorilla. Yes, Blur, Blur and Gorillas. What a great feature. Yeah. That's dope. All yeah, right. He cool. did really cool stuff on it. That is tight. All right. Thanks. Uh, thank you for listening, Jordan. Thank you for being on the episode. Peace. Thank you, Lars.
trying to waste this took a long time crying crying ain't a crime i got my mom she passed away my dad he ain't alive before they murdered fudge i crave for more time had y'all on my mind all week i missed the last they say a better tomorrow it's the sacrifice the cat keep that cow in the pasture knife in the drawer spend a long 40 days it's gonna take 40 more make it through losing love sort of like rock fuel i made the limits i thought that i'd run the gas out
Amazing. Thank you, Jordan. That was tight. All right, ladies and gentlemen, next week we have Mark with a C, who's a Florida-based, I guess you could say, rock folk singer who does amazing, funny, smart songs, and uh, he has a new compilation coming out, so we're going to talk about that. But in the meantime, here is the Patreon Larson of the Week, and guess who's calling? My dad with a great tour story. Here we go. Hi, Lars. Andrew, this is Dad calling. I wanted to share an MC Lars memory with listeners to your great podcast. I have so many memories from these past years, beginning back when you were born. And MC Lars' memories keep on being generated, as was the case these past few weeks when I road trip with you on part of your This Gigantic Robot Kills 10-year anniversary tour. But the memory that I want to share here also involves a tour, your very first one, uh, in the UK in 2003. It was my pleasure and privilege to be on it with you as tour support and your tour manager. We went all over England from London on up to Leeds and down to coastal cities. It was a challenging tour. You were new to the world and you were building your UK fan base. You were outgoing and energetic at every show, every venue. You spent time talking with all of the fans who came, no matter how late into the evening it went. I got to talk with some of those fans, too, and I was impressed by their interest and intelligence and energy. Uh, they were and are great, like your whole fan base throughout the world. You finished that tour down at Brighton, a coastal seaside resort town on the English Channel. There were several hundred people in the audience. It was a great show. You were a superb performer. Your set and encores were great. People loved it. The evening was alive and energetic and a lot of fun. You nailed it. It was a perfect finish to a wonderful tour, a triumph, a success. It took us a while after the last fan left to load out. We got onto the motorway up to London and Heathrow in the wee hours of the morning at around 3 o'clock, as I recall. There was a fast food stop along the way. We pulled in, got sandwiches, potato chips, coffee, water, and chocolate bars for dessert. We pulled back onto the motorway, talked a bit some more about the great show you'd just done and about the whole tour. We ate our sandwiches and chips and chocolate and drank our coffee, mostly in silence as we settled into a place of warm, satisfied contentment there in the dark, speeding our way north. You were happy, and I was too. And I rested in the thought of knowing that, yes, indeed, you were on your way, all was well and would continue always to be so. You've continued your career and the growth of your wonderful fan base. You've broadened and deepened what you do, now including these podcasts. So thank you for all of this. Please keep on keeping on, and thank you for including me on that tour as part of when it all began. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Dad. That was awesome. We're going to end with... My Red Dead Redemption 2 song. Change my ways, open parentheses, Red Dead Redemption 2, close parentheses. And I called it that for the SEO, search engine optimization. But let's not talk about marketing. Let's enjoy the music. Thank you all for listening. Jordan, awesome to see you. Awesome to catch up. Thank you, supporters. And uh, keep your eyes peeled for the humble bundle. Pay what you want. Seven new songs. That's what's up. I'm MC Lars, and I appreciate you all. Bye. We're thieves in the world that doesn't want us no more. We can't change what's done. We can only move on. Vengeance is an idiot's game. Be loyal to what matters. 
Arthur Morgan, I'm a criminal, it's true As I manifest this destiny, I'm running with my crew Ask Dutch Vanderlyn, our plans are rarely foiled With John, Bill, and Javier, we're loyal to the soil Hey, gold rush is over, it's 1899 With the dawning of the century, I think my life a crime Might be precarious, nefarious at best Sheriff on her tail, and it's got me kinda stressed Like, like, like water's botched, now what am I to do With the Pinkerton detectives and the bounty hunters too I got a choice, keep rolling with my posse A reboot my life, praying that I'm never caught, G Like every GTA bystanders get slaughtered Rousseau's social contract has been remixed and altered Watch me get really good at hunting, fishing, shaving As I leave this all behind, know this soul could use some saving One day I'ma change my ways Before they lay my body in a small shallow grave Wronging my rights, my only intention Praying for my final red dead redemption too One day I'ma change my ways Before they lay my body in a small shallow grave Wrong in my rights, my only intention Praying for my final red dead redemption too <laughs> Flying through these mountains, abandoning our stash The old Driscoll boys chase quicker than the flash Leviticus Cornwall, we just robbed his train It was one final heist, we could finally leave this game Aiding revolution against the temptation Distrusted by Dutch says my loyalty is fading Tuberculosis casualties, soon it will be time To hang my rifle up, then wish you all goodnight Tell Beatrice and Lyle, they both raise me right Isaac and Eliza, I love you both despite The way I acted, these days I fear I'm hunted in the forest, kinda like that deer I rock the black cat, my bounty is enormous A gift from my father, I wish he could've warned us I'm part Gary Cooper and part John Wayne As I lay my holster down and this world has gone insane One day I'ma change my ways Before they lay my body in a small shallow grave Wronging my rights, my only intention Praying for my final red dead redemption too One day I'ma change my ways Before they lay my body in a small shallow grave Wronging my rights, my only intention Praying for my final red dead redemption too Woo! <laughs>